Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Um, it's just a real ple- pleasure to be here, particularly knowing John and Marion over many years, as John said. Um, he, as he mentioned, I grew up in Hastings. Um, Hastings is actually the 13th most deprived area in the country out of about 320 or so. So there are a lot of issues, particularly in Hastings, around poverty, around need. Um, I'm kind of a typical Hastings person. Um, That might mean I say things like Hastings instead of Hastings, um, typically. And, yeah, so I became a Christian in King's Church, as John mentioned, when I was 15 years old. And God really just grabbed hold of me, rescued me from... I think a life that would have gone in a very different direction um, had he not kind of reached in. And so I'm from a totally non-Christian background. My family aren't Christians. Um, Very broken background in many ways. Um, But yeah, God has done a lot in my life. I uh, left Hastings, went on to become a journalist for a while. um, And then I worked in kind of press and publicity for the police, the council, the fire service and organisations like that. Um, A little bit of a spin doctor, if you will, but trying to only put out things that were true. And it was during my seven years in that role that God really began to speak to me about his heart for the poor in a really kind of profound way that really started to shape a lot of my thinking, really changed my thinking. And I would be in meetings where the police and the council and others would be talking about problems that have been issues in Hastings for a really long time. And they'd be saying, well, we're not kind of sure what we should do about this problem. We tried a solution last year. We're not sure if it worked, but we haven't got any other ideas Maybe we'll just try it again and hopefully this year it will be more effective. And when I was sat in those meetings, I was thinking they never mention whether the churches have anything to say about this issue. They never kind of ask the question, I wonder what churches in the town or um, faith groups in the town um, have to say about some of these long-standing problems. And so I just started to feel quite challenged about that. Like, why aren't they asking the church? Is Is it something to do with the church? Is it something to do with them? and really just looking at how we could increase our relationships with them. So um, part of what I do at King's Church, as well as overseeing social action, is really building relationships with the police and the council and the fire service to the point now where, um, as a church, we do have a seat at the table when decisions are being made, particularly those affecting people in poverty in our town. Um, And part of my role in Jubilee Plus, just to uh, kind of give you a little bit of a snippet of that, is to um, put out a survey. We do this survey every other year. And what we're finding is that churches across this country are really upping what they're doing in terms of care for the poor. There's been a real movement over the last sort of five to eight years of just fresh energy, fresh motivation, fresh passion, where churches across the UK are really engaging with the poorest in their communities in ways that they hadn't really for perhaps a few decades before. So what's interesting is obviously churches like yours, churches like mine, we've seen an increase in what we're doing to help the poor. We've seen like God really speaking to us as individual churches about really getting kind of our hands dirty and helping people in need. Um, The last Jubilee Plus survey we did at the end of 2014 found that there are over a million volunteers in church-based social action projects in this country and that churches in the UK between them spend £393 million a year on social action on care for the poor. Um, But alongside this increased action, alongside this increased volunteering and and giving, um, there's a lingering question I think, in our country about who actually really deserves our help. Who are the poor? Are there some people who we should help and are there some people who actually just need to kind of pull their socks up and and get their lives together? Um, 
So when we look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about people in poverty and God's attitude towards people in poverty, um, we can ask ourselves the question, does this match up with the people we're seeing in our communities in 21st century Britain today? And are we supposed to help everyone who comes to our door and asks? Um, if you can put some headlines up, the next slide up, these, these are some of what the media is kind of putting out around us, day in, day out, actually, it seems. Um, lots of headlines about um, benefit scroungers, um, Welfare UK, people who are skiving, people who are work shy. And actually, the question, we're being, you, you just need to watch the news, read a newspaper, watch programmes like Benefit Streets, and there's a very real question, who are we supposed to help? Are we supposed to help everyone who says, I need help? We live in a context where we can be simultaneously appalled that there are children who are missing meals and appalled that there are people who say, actually, it's better for me to live on benefits. I prefer to live that way. And so sometimes the headlines we read in our newspapers and the things we see on TV and some of the conversations we have can influence us more than what we read in our Bibles. And so hopefully this morning, together, we can just grapple with a bit of this. What does the Bible actually say? What is God's heart for the poor? And so just to start with, I just want to start with um, talking about the fact that God has always been especially concerned about the poor. Um, when I first became a Christian at 15, I really knew nothing of the Bible, knew nothing really of Christianity. I just encountered Jesus and then became a Christian and then started to learn a lot about what the Christian faith was about. And so when I first became a Christian, I had this idea that the God of the Old Testament was very different to Jesus. So I thought that the God of the Old Testament was all just about really rules and regulations and setting out what, how you should behave and what you should do. And then along comes Jesus, who's kind and compassionate and just nice to everyone. So Jesus is kind of like a bit of a fluffier version of God, if I can put it like that. And um, obviously, I was very mistaken. Obviously, I had deep misunderstandings about God. And so the truth is that actually, wherever we look in the Bible, we see that God is especially concerned about the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. Um, there are literally hundreds of verses in the Bible about poverty and justice. Um, as you can see, don't worry, I'm not going to read these. We're not going to turn to all of them. Um, but I just kind of picked a snapshot and just put up as many verses off the top of my head as I could think of that are about poverty, that are about the poor, that are about God's heart for the poor and for justice. And actually, anywhere you look in the Bible, from Genesis through to Revelation, you can see God's heart for the poor. Um, when God was setting out, even in the Old Testament, how his people should live, actually, in the very fabric of the society that God was creating for his people, he made provision for people in need. So, actually, in the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, we read things like, God says, those who are farming, when the crops, you don't gather all the crops, some get left behind, don't go back and pick them up, leave them for those who are in need. Um, when it comes to um, wages, God's laws said wages should be paid immediately. They shouldn't be deferred. They shouldn't be withheld from people. The interest shouldn't be charged on loans so that people couldn't be exploited by exorbitant interest rates. And that tithes among God's people were not just for the priests, but also for the poor. And there are two specific provisions, actually, where God's heart for the poor is really seen through the Old Testament law. One of them is in the Sabbath year. So it says in Deuteronomy 15 that every seventh year the debts were to be cancelled. That's one of the things that happened every seven years among God's people, which meant that you could never get into a situation of hopelessness 
because you always knew that actually when the seventh year came, your debts would be, can- be cancelled, your property would be returned to you. And the year of Jubilee as well, every 50th year, um, it was set up, this is in Leviticus 25, again, that debts would be cancelled, and any Israelite who had become poor and had to put themselves into slavery would be set free and would be released and could return to their own family and to their own property. So actually, at the very heart of the system that God was putting in place with his people, the the whole economic system was built on grace. It was built to limit the gaps between the rich and the poor. The rich just couldn't go on getting richer and richer and richer at the expense of the poor. But also, the poor would never find themselves in a situation of hopelessness because there was always going to be a time coming where actually they could be set free from debt, set free from slavery, or whatever situation they'd found themselves in. And we read in the Old Testament time and time again that where God is displeased with his people, where God is unhappy with how his people are behaving, it's so often intrinsically linked to how they're treating the poor among them, how they're treating the oppressed, how they're treating widows, how they're treating orphans. Um, Actually, how we treat the poor is a real indicator of how much we know God, how closely we're walking with God. And if you're not persuaded of it from the Old Testament, because that was kind of a whistle-stop very quickly, because I want to get into a passage that we're going to look at, um, but we could just quickly turn to Jesus, and we see Jesus over and over again, not only interacting with the poor, but just speaking about how his people treat the poor, being an indicator again of how well we know him. So in Matthew 25, it's, Jesus is very clear that how we treat the sick, how we treat those who are in prison how we treat those who are in poor in any way is a real indicator of how well we know him and how closely we're walking with him. He says that how we treat the least of these is how we're actually treating him. It's a real provocation to us. I know it's a real provocation to me to make sure that I'm trying to treat people the way that I would want to treat Jesus if he was stood right next to me, but also to treat people the way Jesus treated them. And so I think there are two things that are absolutely crystal clear in the Bible. And the first one is that God is directly interested in the needs of the poor. And the second one is that care for the poor should be a vital issue for the followers of Jesus as well. I mean, Jesus spent much of his time with people who are in chronic need. He expended a lot of emotional and spiritual energy meeting the needs of people around him. And we'll we'll come to some of that in a little while. But in Luke chapter 4... When Jesus is starting his ministry, when he returns in the power of the Spirit from Galilee, the Bible tells us, and he starts to read from a very famous passage in Isaiah in the Old Testament that says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus starts his entire ministry talking about God's heart for the poor, talking about the fact that the Spirit has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. Not just to bring good news to the poor, but actually to be good news to the poor. The statement he reads out in the temple is is unambiguous. That care for the poor, it's not a sideshow of what Jesus is about. It's actually at the very heart because it's revealing the merciful character of God. So when Jesus came, there was a breaking in of heaven to earth. And we see that in the Gospels through signs and wonders, but we also see it through the lifting up of those who are poor and vulnerable and marginalized. And also care for the poor became a key part of the identity of the early church. 
in the Bible. It's not a departmental thing where some Christians care for the poor and others are just very happy that those other Christians care for the poor. It's actually something that we are all called to do if we're Christians here. It's something that we're all to be involved in in one way or another because it's a natural and inevitable consequence of walking closely with Jesus that we get God's heart of compassion and of mercy. Um, If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Luke 15. I'm not going to read it just yet. I'm giving you a bit of time to find it. But um, what I want to do, I'm hoping there are two stories that can really help us here. Because we may be thoroughly persuaded that God's heart is for the poor. We may be thoroughly persuaded that God is merciful and kind and compassionate, that he's shown that to us and that we're to show that to other people. But those newspaper headlines I showed earlier just do give us an interesting dilemma in a context such as ours where um, we can think, well, it's okay to help people who are in real desperate need, this type of need, but I'm not so sure about this person because maybe they got themselves into that situation. Maybe they made some bad decisions. So it's all well and good to say that God's got a heart for the poor, but how do we actually work this out in our communities? How do you work it out in Winchester? How do I work it out in Hastings? And I think there are two particular stories in the Bible that can really help us with this. Um, The first one, I'm just going to read a few verses. It will come up on the screen behind me. It's from 2 Samuel 9. Um, And then we'll come to Luke 15. So in 2 Samuel 9, verse 3, it says, The king, David, asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So we read actually in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4, that how Mephibosheth became lame in both feet was actually through an accident that happened to him when he was five years old. So the Bible tells us that his nurse picked him up to flee, and uh, as she hurried to leave, he fell, and he became disabled, and he was lame in both feet. And I think Mephibosheth is the kind of person we can find it very easy to feel sympathy towards. I know I can. I think, well, if someone like Mephibosheth came to me um, in need, I would think, well, he, he... is in this situation through no fault of his own. He is a victim of circumstances beyond his control. Um, And also he's so humble and grateful for David's help. He says, you know, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I think Mephibosheth is the kind of person I would feel very comfortable helping because of who he is and how he came to be in those circumstances. But if we turn to another story in the Bible, so this is in Luke 15, we're going to read from verse 11. Many of us know the story well, it's the story of the prodigal son, um, and it's primarily about God's mercy and his loving kindness towards us. But I think it has some application for us too, in terms of how we think about those in poverty. So I'll read from verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his, into the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so in this story, I think we have a bit more of a problem, if I'm honest, I do. Because when I read that the pro- about the prodigal son ending up in dire need, it's a lot harder to feel sympathy for him because he got there entirely of his own making. I mean, firstly, to have asked his father for his inheritance before his father died was very offensive. It was a very insulting thing. It was practically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Can I just have what's mine now? Um, Then he went off, and we read later in that story, actually, when his older brother says to his father that he squandered the money on prostitutes. So here's a guy who meets dire need. He is starving, but it's entirely through his own fault. It's entirely through just throwing his wealth at wild living, throwing his wealth at prostitutes, and his own bad decisions have got him there. So imagine with me, if you will, um, Mephibosheth and the prodigal son coming to us saying, can you help me? I'm in need. I don't know about you, maybe um, Christians in Winchester are a lot more godly than I am, but it does something in my heart where I go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually whether I should treat you both equally. I'm not sure how I should respond to both of you. And I know that often what happens in my heart, if I'm honest, is I look first and foremost at someone's behaviour to decide whether they're worthy of my help or not. Um, I can't imagine at all that I would struggle to help Mephibosheth. I hope I wouldn't. But I do think I would struggle to help the prodigal son if he came and told me his story and then said, now will you help me? And I think this is just highly relevant to us in Britain today. Um, you know, we're told that people on benefits are scrounging and they're some of the same people who come to food banks we run or soup kitchens we run or different things like that. Um, particularly in the media, we're presented with this really stark picture of who deserves our help and who doesn't. And so I think when we see the body of a three-year-old boy, a refugee, washed up on the beach, we rightly feel deep compassion and we feel like something should be done but when we hear about um, people moving over here from Romania or Bulgaria to give them themselves a better life to get a job to access health care something in us goes oh I don't think I don't feel the same response I don't feel the same compassion I don't feel the same level of sympathy um, most of us will have a scale in our hearts of who we think deserves help and who we think doesn't. And I think, you know, let me just throw out some examples for you. If you think about a widowed mother of three, if you think about these people coming and asking you for help, think about what happens in your heart where you go, yeah, of course I'll help you, and where you go, hmm, I'm not sure. So a homeless person who asks for change on the street, 
What about if it's a homeless person asking for change on the street whilst they're sipping from a can of lager and they've got a dog that they're feeding? Um, What about an asylum seeker who's fleeing from persecution? Or an illegal immigrant who's come here to provide a better life for their family? A woman who's made redundant after 10 years in her job and has applied for 200 jobs with no success? Or an unemployed person who has nine children and has a tenth one on the way? I think what happens in my heart when I hear these sorts of scenarios is I know that there's a cut-off point for my compassion somewhere on the scale. I know that I tend to line people up as how worthy or unworthy they are of my help. Um, And even if we're kind of really engaged in care for the poor, even if we really feel that God's put it on our hearts that we really need to care for people in need, even within us, we can find that our hearts sometimes just aren't on the same page as God's, which we're going to come to in a moment. So, for example, I know a really lovely Christian woman who serves her heart out for the poor in our community, particularly with the food bank, gives hours and hours of her time volunteering at the food bank. But she has openly admitted that if people come and demand food and they don't say thank you, she really struggles with that. She really wants to go, actually, you can give that back because you're not grateful for it. And I think it is interesting what happens in our hearts because I think if we're honest, I know definitely this is true of me, if I'm honest, what happens in my heart often isn't exactly what I want to happen. And so I've been working really hard, really trying to align my heart with God's heart. And I'm hoping that we can together go on a bit of a journey with that this morning. Um, For me, I think it particularly um, came to a head when I remembered something that had happened to me. I lived in China for a year. I was living in Beijing. And we were told, don't give money to the street kids, because if you give to one, then you will be surrounded by dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds. And The first time I went out for an evening, I kind of ignored that because I thought, how bad can it be? And I'm quite short, so when I was surrounded by literally 30 or 40 kids, they're all the same height as me, I could barely move, and I realised that if you do give to one, you're just going to be stuck because you can't explain that you can't give to everyone, that you don't have enough money for everyone. But there were times during my year living in China where even though I knew what would happen, I was moved by compassion. There was something that happened that was good in my heart where I saw someone in need and I felt, I've just got to help, I can't just walk away. And so one particular evening, um, a small boy um, came up to me, filthy clothes, um, holes in them, you know, just threadbare clothing, really dirty, and he came up and he was on his own and I just thought, I just need to give him some money. So I gave him some money And then I watched him go to a street vendor and buy a a little rice cake. And he bought that. And then he took it to a woman who I assume was his mother. And she broke off a small bit. And in a few seconds, just what was going on in my head was, this is really nice. She's breaking off a small bit for herself. And then she's going to give the larger portion to her child. That's beautiful. Uh, That isn't what happened. Uh, She gave the child the small piece. And then she ate the larger piece. And what happened in my heart in an instant was I was indignant. I was absolutely outraged. I thought, if I'd known you were going to do that, I would, not have done, I would not have given him the money. And so what happened in my heart was I just pole vaulted straight over compassion, straight over mercy, and went straight to a place of just outrage. And that woman in an instant became undeserving 
of my help. Actually, even the child became undeserving of my help because of what happened. And so since that time and since kind of God's brought that story back to mind for me over the last few years, I've been really trying to just press into, God, what is your heart for people? Because I don't want to make judgments just based on people's behavior. I want to make judgments based on God. I want to have God's heart for the poor. So what should our response be and what can we learn from these stories of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son about God's heart for the poor and our own? Well, I think Mephibosheth and the prodigal son stand in stark contrast with each other in terms of how they found themselves in need. But the common element in the story is that the father figure in each story acted in the same way to both of them. So King David in the story of Mephibosheth and then the father in the story of the prodigal son Both of them were actually looking out for who they could help. So it says that David sought someone to show the kindness of God to. And with the story of the prodigal son, we read that the father saw the son while he was still a long way off. He spotted him while he was far away. Um, Actually, neither of these stories are as straightforward as they may seem. Because in the story of Mephibosheth, well, his grandfather Saul had tried to kill David. So David really had no um, obligation to help Mephibosheth in one sense at all. And in the story of the prodigal son, well, it's the father recognizing the son who's made in his image coming back towards him. So we've seen that God's especially concerned about the poor. But I think what these stories show us is that in God's kingdom, compassion and kindness and mercy have everything to do with the giver and very little to do with the recipient. God's compassion and mercy is based on who he is not on the object of his kindness. And I think when we're looking at whether we should help someone or not, it's so easy for us to look at, does this person deserve my help? What has this person done? What's their behavior been like? Um, But Christians are actually called to look at Jesus instead, not the person in front of them. Jesus didn't put any conditions on his acts of mercy and healing. Um, Actually, in fact, even being thankful and coming back and praising him didn't seem to be a condition We read that he healed 10 people and only one came back and praised him. But we don't see him chasing down the other nine and saying that healing is going to be revoked because you didn't praise me. Um, We see that Jesus was motivated by compassion and his mercy was radical. He interacted with people on the very margins of society. In fact, he interacted with the people that no one else, and particularly the religious people of the day, didn't want to have anything to do with. So the prostitutes, the unclean lepers, shunned beggars, even despised tax collectors, tax collectors who were ostracized from their society and had no real kind of community around them because of the job that they did. Jesus was comfortable to hang out with all of those people. And actually, not only was Jesus comfortable to spend a lot of his time and energy with those people, but those people wanted to be around Jesus. Those people sought him out. They were somehow feeling comfortable around him. And I think it's because he wasn't putting conditions on his mercy. He treated everyone who came to him with kindness and compassion. It didn't mean he treated everyone the same. But actually what was in Jesus' heart for people was always mercy, kindness and compassion. Um, We read about him feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. And I like to imagine if he'd said to the disciples, why don't you go and means test everyone before we help? Because some of the people who were there should have thought to bring some food with them, quite honestly. They should have known better. And some of them who were there probably weren't that interested in the teaching of Jesus. They were just there for the spectacle. Maybe some of them were just there because they heard about all the food and some people joined on and added on to the side and thought, well, we want to see this miracle of food being shared. 
But Jesus didn't say to the disciples, go and see which ones can sort themselves out and go and see which ones are just here for a free meal or just to see a miracle. Jesus said, no, just distribute the food. And I think that has really significant and interesting implications for us as we consider who we should help in our communities today. And, of course, I'm not saying we don't think carefully about how we help people. I think we do need to be wise. We do need to think about what the best response to someone in front of us is. But what it does say is that we should never write off whole groups of people that it isn't okay to just write off immigrants. It isn't okay to just write off people on benefits. It isn't okay to just write off huge groups of people and say, I'm not helping you because you don't deserve it. Because actually, like Jesus, we want our first response, don't we, to be mercy and kindness and compassion. And the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that people fall into poverty for a whole variety of reasons, often as a result of their own actions. But God's mercy to people just isn't founded on what they've done or haven't done. We know that. If you're a Christian here today, you know that, don't you? God's mercy to you, God's mercy to me, is not in any way founded on what we've done or have failed to do, but it's just founded on who he is and the fact that he's a merciful, merciful God. It's just in his character. And I just think an interesting provocation for us in terms of having a cut-off point for our compassion is that all the statistics and all the research will tell us that a child who grows up in poverty in Britain today, their life chances are significantly impaired by their upbringing. So if you grow up in poverty as a child in Britain today, your health will be affected, your educational attainment will be affected, your life expectancy, your job prospects, pretty much everything we hope for as adults, if you're a child growing up in poverty today, will be affected by your childhood. And so an interesting question for us, I think, is, well, at what age then do we switch off our compassion? Because those children become adults that we are very quick, I am very quick, to judge when their behaviour doesn't match up. But I don't know where we think that kind of miraculous change is going to come about. Is it that on their 18th birthday, a child who's grown up in poverty will have a miraculous moment where they suddenly become an adult who knows how to act responsibly, who knows how to handle their money well, who knows how to um, get a job? It, it just it doesn't make sense to me, and I think I feel really provoked by that because I think so often society says, you made your bed, you lie in it. That is not an attitude we see in the Bible at all. It says when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Our society, I think particularly today, treats people based on their behaviour, but Christians are called to treat people based on the behaviour of Jesus not on the behaviour of the person in front of them. We're called to treat people based on Jesus' character, on who he is. So we're not looking at the same things as the world. We're not looking at the same things as society. We're not asking, do you deserve my help? For the Christian, the question first and foremost should be, how can I show God's kindness to you today? What is the best way of me showing God's love and mercy to you today? It is a fundamentally different question that, that we're asking. And I think my final point is that just that God delights to show mercy. And so he calls us to love mercy too. God is concerned about what goes on in our hearts. When we're asking, should I help this person because of their behavior, God is so often asking me, what's happening in your heart right now? What's going on inside you? 
And I think it's easy to think that as Christians, we, we love mercy. Most of us in the room today will be Christians. And I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands and said, who loves mercy? Most people would put their hands up. I mean, I love mercy. I love it that the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. Um, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because I know that God's mercy has rescued me and changed me and transformed me. But there are quite a few people in the Bible who don't love mercy. Uh, Jonah is a classic example. Jonah knew that God wanted to show mercy to the people of Nineveh. So Jonah decided to run away from God, to run away from having to go and proclaim mercy or proclaim judgment that would lead to mercy to the people of Nineveh. Jonah said to God, I knew you'd show mercy. That's why I didn't want to come here. I'm paraphrasing. But that's in essence what he said. Jonah wasn't keen on the mercy of God. He, was, he quite liked it when it rescued him from a whale. He wasn't so keen on it when it was shown to other people. Um, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son that we've read, the older brother's like outraged. Well, how come this son who just squandered your wealth gets this? And again, doesn't like the mercy that's being shown to someone else. The Pharisees in the Gospels, we read it all the time, are just so displeased with Jesus because of the people that he's prepared to show kindness and mercy to. And actually, even the disciples, um, some of the disciples want to call down the thunder of heaven, the fire from heaven on people, rather than show mercy. And I think when there's that many people in the Bible who aren't keen on mercy, we should ask ourselves the question, well, what about my heart? How do I feel about mercy? Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's in Luke chapter 6. But loving mercy is hard, especially when you feel that someone's taking advantage or isn't grateful or keeps making bad choices. But it's what we're called to do. We're called to love mercy. Um, We put limits on mercy, but God doesn't. His mercy um, is overflowing to us, isn't it? We're those who've received such abundant mercy from God and keep receiving such abundant mercy from God. But mercy doesn't feature highly in our society. It's not something you read a lot about in newspapers. It's not something you hear politicians talking about a great deal or celebrities. John Piper um, calls mercy one of the weightier matters of life, always in danger of being neglected. And he adds that mercy comes from a heart that has first felt its spiritual bankruptcy and knows it owes everything you are and have to sheer divine mercy. God has shown us outrageous radical mercy. We were enemies of God. And when we read stories like Mephibosheth and the prodigal son, we typically put ourselves in the place of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son. And that's good and that's helpful. It helps us to see the Father's heart for us as he saves us, as he draws us to himself. But actually, for those of us who've become Christians, we are now called to be imitators of God. The Bible says, imitate God. It says in Ephesians, we're told we have the mind of Christ. Uh, Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So actually, when we look at the story of Mephibosheth and when we look at the story of the prodigal son, we're now called to represent God to people who are like Mephibosheth and to people who are like the prodigal son. Um, We're in Christ now. So we get to reflect him. We get to bear the mark of our maker. We get to show mercy to people in the same way that God shows mercy to people. We get to be him to people around us. We get to reflect him. We get to show mercy where it's deserved. We get to show mercy where it isn't. We get to show radical mercy that doesn't say like society, how did you get yourself into this mess? Do you deserve my help or do you not deserve my help? But actually says... I didn't deserve any mercy from God myself, but he showed it to me anyway in abundance. So please let me show you the mercy of God today as well.
I would love to pray for us just as I come to a close, if that would be okay. Um, shall we, can we stand? <coughs> Father, I thank you that you have been so merciful towards us. Thank you that I can't even imagine where I'd be today without your mercy. And thank you that my story will be replicated hundreds of times across this room today. We are those who've known the mercy of God on our lives. We're so grateful that you ever showed us mercy, though we didn't deserve it, though we had nothing that had earned it from you, though we'd made bad choices, run far from you, walked away from you, yet you showed us mercy. And I just pray that you would now align our hearts to yours. We want your heart for those around us, whether we think they deserve it or not. We want your heart for people. We want to show mercy. We want to show kindness and compassion. Jesus, we want to be like you. When we encounter people in need, whether they got there through their own making or through no fault of their own, help us to have the same heart response that you have, which is how can I show you love and kindness and compassion and mercy and generosity today? Would you help us, Father? We can't do it without you. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.